Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember to celebrate the important woman in your life this Mother's Day with a gift that makes her part of Team DET. Go to WDET.org before May 10th to give the gift of Team DET this Mother's Day. Also, join Ryan Patrick Cooper and Amanda LeClaire of Culture Shift at Axel Brewing Company in Livernois Tap to celebrate spring here in Detroit. It's an after-work happy hour from 5 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, May 10th. You can win tickets to upcoming shows and meet other Culture Shift listeners while grooving to a playlist that was curated by Amanda and Ryan. For more information, go to wdet.org slash events. 2018 has been informally labeled as the year of the woman in the political realm. 309 women have filed to run for seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, and that's the most ever in a single election year. Between the Women's March that graced the Mall in Washington, D.C., and many other cities throughout the country the day after Donald Trump's inauguration and the rise of the Me Too movement, it's clear that women throughout the nation feel empowered to lead a movement of substantive change. We may be seeing that political wave play out right here in Michigan as well. If Gretchen Whitmer were to win the Democratic nomination for governor, that would put women at the top of all the major statewide races for Democrats this year. Governor, Secretary of State, Attorney General, and U.S. Senate. What leads historically to these waves of women running for office, and how often does it actually produce results? How often do we see the follow-up in policy change. That's where we want to start the conversation today. And helping us to frame that conversation is Kelly Dittmar. She's an assistant professor of political science and a scholar with the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University. Kelly, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Sure. And Shana Roth is a Capitol reporter with the Michigan Public Radio Network. Shana, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, okay, we're gonna we're trying to to get Shana on the line there. <laughs> She'll join us in a little bit. Kelly, let's start with you. Uh, what is the national trend here, and what is inspiring it? Sure. So this year, um, we've kept a number of women running for office at the Center for American Women in Politics for a couple of decades, um, and so we do know that this year there are record levels of women running, uh, and they're running across levels of office. So as of today, for example, uh, there are 352 women. We're up to that number filed for the U.S. House, um, and that uh, the previous record was 298. So oh. we far surpassed that. The same is true in terms of breaking records for the number of women running for governor, um, and we expect that we'll see a, a record level running for the U.S. Senate, though we haven't yet broken that record. A couple of trends there is that most of the increase in these candidacies, what has been sort of termed a surge of women running for office, is primarily happening, though, among Democratic progressive uh, women. So if you just look at the House numbers, for example, 266 of the 352 candidates are Democrats. And so that's some important context for us to be looking at this trend, because the trend is not only sort of pink, as some have termed it, but it's also blue. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be watching that throughout the cycle. And and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of that blue dynamic, I imagine, 
arises from the presence of Donald Trump in the White House, which also is one of the things that has inspired women to take to the streets. It's sort of a circular uh, cycle. There. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, everybody, it's hard to pinpoint any one reason why all of these women are running. And I think all of them have their own particular sources of motivation, many of them tied to policy issues, things that they're particularly um, active on or want to advocate for. But it is true, and, and you sort of can't deny that the 2016 election was at least a catalyst you know, for many women who may have been active in other ways, mm-hmm. um, but saw this election as, for some, it, they saw it as a threat. <laughs> for some, they saw it as something they needed to stand up against. Um, and so it can be, you know, energizing and engaging in that way. And what is hopeful is seeing women translate their activism and advocacy, um, either for policy or against policy, um, into an actual decision to run for office. Mm-hmm. The challenge, of course, is that that explanation doesn't explain why Republican women are or aren't running um, in this cycle. And so we're also trying to, to navigate and look at those uh, dynamics as well and what's motivating women on the conservative side of the aisle to run. So I can remember back in the 1990s the emergence of Emily's List and other uh, sort of political infrastructure that sort of came together to make it easier for uh, women who historically have been sort of, you know, left out of the political infrastructure uh, to run and to win. I I would imagine that 20 years later, uh, that looks a lot different than it did in in the 90s. Can you talk about how much easier maybe it is or the kinds of challenges that women don't face today that they did uh, 20 years ago when they run for office? Sure. And I I should start by saying we wish it has changed more than a hatch. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. So to give you that baseline, um, <laughs> you know, women are still less than 25% of elected office holders nationwide when you look at any level of office. Um, and so those numbers, while they have increased and that's important, um, there's been a sort of plateau and a sort of stasis in women's representation. Um, but to give you a sense, sure, um, the financial infrastructure, as you mentioned with Emily's List, Um, has been a big boon. It's been a game changer for women running on the Democratic side of the aisle. Uh, If you are able to get Emily's List support, uh, that not only gives you the financial backing that you need to run a campaign successfully in the United States, it also gives you the credibility with the party. Um, So what you see now is the Democratic Party actually, you know, going to Emily's List to say, who are you endorsing? Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, putting their backing as well um, to women candidates. And it also incentivizes them to recruit women candidates because they know that if they get that woman candidate or they expect that if they get that woman candidate to run, they may also get that Emily's List financial support. Um, there's no equivalent to that on the Republican side of the aisle, which helps to explain part of at least the partisan disparities in uh, women's candidacies as well as their office holding. If you look at Congress today, uh, about a third of Democrats are women. Um, whereas uh, Republican women are about 10 percent of their of the members of the Republican Party in Congress. And so there's a, a sort of stark disparity. Other challenges that um, we've seen decline at least a little bit um, is, is just changing the expectation of what leadership looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so the more that you have women in these positions, whether it be a member of Congress, a senator, a speaker of the House, a candidate and nominee for president, it starts to uh, alter expectations that voters have 
about the appropriate roles of women as well as what a political leader looks like, how they behave. Um, so that definitely we've chipped away at over time due to the increase in, in women's um, in women's office holding. And finally, I would say, you know, we're continually building the infrastructure, the support infrastructure on the sort of training and recruitment side. And yeah. we still need to do more work there. Uh, but that tries to both encourage women to run and then give them the tools to get from making that decision to run all the way to election day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are now joined by Shana Roth. We've got the connection issues ironed out there. She's a Capitol reporter with the Michigan Public Radio Network. Shana, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, talk about this national trend playing out on the state level here uh, in Michigan, as I said in the open, uh, if Gretchen Whitmer is uh, the winner of the uh, August primary for governor on the Democratic side, that will mean we have uh, women in uh, in all of the top spots on that side of the of the ticket on the Democratic side, uh, governor, secretary of state, attorney general, and U.S. Senate. But I'm also curious about other races. Are we seeing uh, more women run for the legislature here in in Michigan, and what the ratio looks like? inside the legislature right now in terms of gender? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that we are seeing uh, in both that's those sort of the seats for the U.S. uh, Congress. And also uh, we're seeing more women, it seems like, applying or running for seats in the sort of the state uh, House and the state Senate. Um, Looking at sort of the raw numbers, we are still seeing that trend where it is more Democratic female candidates. Um, However, when we're looking at the state Senate and the state House, it does seem like those numbers are starting to get a little bit more even. Um, I was looking at Ballotopedia for the state Senate and sort of the number of women who have filed for who are potentially running four seats in the state Senate, and 17 of the seats have Democratic female candidates, and 14 of the seats have Republican female candidates. Um, There's obviously some seats have multiple people in their party running, but we're kind of seeing a bit more of an even playing field as far as the numbers of females when it comes to those state levels. Um, But when it comes to the higher up seats, um, you know, the Republicans really only have one female candidate for major seats, and that's Tanya Shootmaker for Uh attorney general. Uh And then when it comes to, you know, U.S. Senate, uh, the Democrat for there is Debbie Stabenow, and there's really no other Republicans for the U.S. Senate. U.S. House of Representatives, we are seeing a lot of women, and uh, as far as Democrats go, but not nearly as many uh, female Republicans. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are Kelly Dittmar, an assistant professor of political science and a scholar with the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University. Also with us is Shana Roth, a Capitol reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We are talking about whether 2018 will be the year of the woman in politics. Lots and lots of women have filed across the country to run for U.S. Congress. Uh, Here in the state of Michigan, we have women poised to be the Democratic nominees up and down the ticket. Uh, Governor, Attorney General, Secretary of State, uh, U.S. Senate. uh, Call and tell us what you make of the possibility of an all-women Uh, Democratic slate for statewide races here in Michigan this fall. Also, call and tell us what you think about this national trend. More women standing up, raising their hands, saying they want to serve uh, in government and make some of the decisions 
that affect our lives. Uh, does having more women in office matter to you? And is it something that you really think about when you go into the voting booth in the fall? Is that one of the things that's on your mind, putting more women into office? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we will work you into the conversation. Also, uh, give us a call and let us know whether you think Putting more women in office will lead to the kind of policy change uh, that that people assume it will. Is it the kind of thing that will change the way government deals uh, with important aspects uh, of our lives? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Let's go to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, thank you, Stephen. Good morning. Uh-huh. Hey. Um, I just wanted to say, for one, I'm going to vote for as many women as I can. I'm, I'm done with men <laughs> in politics. I think they've <laughs> foobarred the world for many years, and I just think women are a lot more compassionate, measured, patient, and I just think it's time to step aside and give it a chance, because... Hmm. Uh, I don't like the way it's, men are aggressive and greedy. <laughs> women aren't necessarily that way, and men act out of fear. And I think often, you know, women are more considerate and compassionate. And I hmm. just think it's time to make a change. Charlie, uh, I appreciate, I definitely appreciate the call <laughs> uh, and the comments. I appreciate your candor there uh, in, in admitting that that's how you're heading into the booth this fall. Uh, Kelly Dittmar, though, though, I do want to ask you about that kind of uh, assumption making, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. about about uh, female candidates, and that does get to this other question I'm asking about whether policy change follows uh, a change in, in in gender makeup in in you know legislative or executive uh, elections. Uh, assuming, I guess, that that women are because women are different, uh, that we will get different outcomes. I, I imagine mm-hmm. that there is some danger there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely think that we always sort of warn women candidates. You, you, many stereotypes have worked against women candidates in trying to run for and be successful mm-hmm. uh, in candidacy for office. But there are advantageous stereotypes, like the one that the caller is talking about. <laughs> but I would say it's not entirely a stereotype because there's evidence um, that women do make differences in both how policy is made and the outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so there's an extensive literature on the different uh, priorities and different policy positions that women bring to the table, particularly perspectives that their male counterparts just don't have by nature of living as women and particularly living as women of color or women of a certain age or generation in the United States. So there is evidence that they make a difference on the agenda, mm-hmm. uh, that they bring a passion for certain issues, and that they bring a distinct perspective. Perspective In terms of getting things done, we did a study last year at the center um, where we interviewed 83 of the women in Congress, and we asked them about their perspective of why it makes a difference to have women at the table. And one of the overarching findings was they, they felt that women uh, were focused on achievement over ego. And this is consistent with a hmm. survey we also did of state legislators where the number one uh, response when we asked legislators, why did you run for office the first time? Uh, for women was because I wanted to change a public policy issue. And for men, it was because I had a longstanding desire to be an elected official. Again, it focuses on women getting into office to make change and to m- get things done. 
um, and then they're more for the political uh, advancement. And that does change how policy is being made and how members relate to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I also want to talk some about the uh, the intersection between uh, the gender issue here and uh, diversity, racial diversity, which is something that, that, of course, in politics we talk about quite a bit. And there is at least as big a problem uh, in, in terms of representation there. Uh, Kelly, I wanted you to take us back to uh, the 90s, perhaps, when we saw yet another surge in in women candidates for for office uh, and and there was um there was sort of a coin coincidental uh change in the way that uh, districts were drawn that helped usher in more minority candidates as well how how closely are those issues always tied together yeah i mean i think when we're talking about 1992 one of the significant uh, predictors or uh, uh, reasons for the increase of women in office was it was a post-redistricting year, so it created open seats that women could compete for. Um, it, it creates opportunity. Um, at the same time, in that redistricting period, there was also the creation of a number of majority-minority districts, which also led to opportunities uh, for candidates of color, particularly African-American candidates in many districts, um, and many women, uh, a number of women won those seats. Uh, throughout the country. And so you not only had an increase of women, but you did also have an increase um, of, of black women and increasingly over time, uh, more diversity among women in office. We have a lot of work to do, but there is, um, that's one way, uh, the creation of districts that are particularly friendly to women or to women of color, that you increase those numbers. I will say that as we think about the sort of current status of women and women of color in particular, that we have to think outside of those districts. And so we're at a moment now where advancement means for women of color means looking to non-majority minority districts and seeing that women of color can win those uh, just as well, but they need to be recruited and supported in those seats uh, so that we can actually see an expansion of those numbers uh, beyond what we've seen in the last two decades. Mm-hmm. Shana, the, the racial diversity question has been a big part of the narrative already here in the mm-hmm. state of Michigan, because not only are uh, the candidates who are poised to, to run for the big offices on the Democratic side women, they're also all white. Uh, right. And there's a lot of concern about whether uh, a slate like that can pull black votes, for starters, but also uh, whether that is fairly representative, uh, you know, of the state's black population. Yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting thing to kind of see, because the question kind of becomes, what when we talk about diversity, well, what does that mean to the voters? And what does that mean? Sort of generally, there isn't necessarily an agreement on what a diverse uh, ballot looks like. I mean, when you think about it, yes, they're all uh, white individuals, however, or could potentially be all white individuals, but uh, they would be female, which is a type of diversity. One of you know, uh, the a candidate for attorney general is an openly uh, gay female, which is its own type of diversity. Um, so when we are thinking about going forward, they do have to wrestle with you know, what do we want a diverse ballot to look like? Is it all female, just up and down all the way? Is mm-hmm. that you know, is that it's a different way of thinking of diversity, um, but also they are definitely struggling with 
you know, what do we do to make sure that people of color are also represented, uh, represented, and how are we going to bring them in and make sure that we are not um, alienating them because most of these candidates, uh, while they are female and diverse in their own way, they are white. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the year of the woman in politics. Uh, stay with us, and stay with us on the phones. We especially want to hear from women. Does it matter to you to have women representing you in elected bodies? Is that one of the things you think of when you go to the voting booth? As always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Also, remember that if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. All you have to do is go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Kelly Dittmar. She's an assistant professor of political science and a scholar with the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University. Also with us is Shana Roth, a Capitol reporter with the Michigan Public Radio Network. We're talking about the potential for 2018 to be the year of the woman in politics. A record number of women around the country have filed to run for uh, Congress uh, here in the state of Michigan. Uh, We have women poised to represent the Democratic ticket uh, up and down uh, the state races that will be decided in November. What does that mean? Is that a purely a reaction to the era of Donald Trump, or is there something deeper going on? Is it something that will lead to substantive change in terms of policymaking? We want to hear from you, and especially we would love to hear uh, from women listeners about what they think uh, about this idea of having women represent you more robustly and in larger numbers in elected bodies. Uh, do you think that is one of the ways to get uh, different outcomes from, from government? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag uh, Detroit Today will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Linda in Marlette. Linda, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Uh-huh. Go ahead. I, do, I don't think it's a good idea to have too many women. I mean, a, a fair amount, fine, but pushing women. Have you ever been in a place where it's all women working together? It doesn't work out well. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not being funny about that. I work with a lot of women. There's a lot of cattiness. There's a lot of problems that happen. The biggest problem I see with any in any political office is term limits. You get these people in, in office, and they're in there for 50 years, and they think they're royalty. And that's just wrong. You don't get anything done then, because it's all going to be their way or no way. So, so Linda, there there isn't, uh, in your mind, uh, a substantive difference in the way that, that women will govern that would be of benefit? To women and, no. and other people, if you if you had more of them in in Congress and the no. state legislature, no, not at all. Do you not, not do you not feel like there's a, a fair amount of uh, inequality 
uh, that that exists in the world that might be sort of dialed back if if more women were in charge? No, no. I don't. I don't. I, I like I said, okay. I, they're too emotional a lot of times. They're going to get. I don't know. You need okay. strong women, but like I said, the biggest problem we have in politics is term limits. These people get in there, and they never get out, and they keep getting voted in because people vote by name recognition alone. Yeah. Well, we actually have term limits here in the, the state of Michigan, and, and I would argue that uh, that's turned out very differently than, than what people might have expected. But, Linda, I definitely appreciate uh, you listening, and I appreciate your calling in. Uh, Kelly Dittmar, uh, you have research that kind of pushes back against what Linda was saying there, this idea that somehow – uh, having women in, in elected office would lead to ineffectiveness. Your research says uh, the opposite. Yeah, there's a, there's a host of research that also looks particularly at this measure of effectiveness. And actually, there are findings showing that women are more effective. The measures that they use, for example, are bringing home uh, financial benefits to their districts, um, passing legislation, um, and that women have figured out ways to navigate the system effectively. We also find that women, and this is not my own research, but research from other scholars, uh, that find that women often come into office with more qualifications um, and are sort of higher quality than men, and that's often because they wait longer to run or they're recruited or they have to co- go through more barriers mm-hmm. in order to uh, be supported as candidates. And so in many ways, uh, women candidates end up being higher, quali- higher quality um, and more effective legislators. I will say to Linda's point, though, I think what she does demonstrate is something important that we all have to remember, which is there is an assumption made that women support women candidates and all women want more women candidates without consideration of policy agendas and, and many other political factors. Um, and I think that's a, a false assumption. Uh, we know that women don't just vote for women. Uh, women vote by party. And so just having women on the ballot alone is not what's going to motivate women voters. In fact, it's going to be those connections and making a case uh, that that candidate represents your viewpoints, represents your perspective, and is going to effectively uh, represent you in Congress. And so at least I think she raises that point. One other quick thing about term limits is that in Michigan in particular, um, what we saw, we, we used to think that term limits would benefit women because it would create these open seats. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, and you've seen this very much so in Michigan, it's actually hurt women's representation because what we did is we lost a lot of women who had gained seniority um, positions. And because women haven't run at the same rates as men, they haven't been filling in those hmm. term limited seats um, at as quick of a rate as male counterparts. So it's sort of been a counterintuitive result for women's representation. Yeah. Yeah. Shana, talk about that dynamic uh, at the state level, this, this, uh, this expectation that term limits might open up more opportunities for women, but also uh, talk about the, the sort of backlash, I guess, uh, that, that might exist uh, against uh, women who've had an opportunity. I mean, uh, you heard what, what Linda said there. Uh, is, that, is that about uh, some of the things that, that we've seen or some of the people that we've seen in office? Uh, do, you, do you hear people say, well, we tried that, for instance, and we don't think it worked very well? 
not necessarily. I mean, I don't think that's something that people would be very open about uh, <laughs> about saying that, you know, well, we tried to get some women well, in there and it didn't work. So, well, I'm um, actually thinking about, yeah, about guess, former Governor Jennifer Granholm, who I hear a uh, lot okay, of people yeah. say really horrible mm-hmm. things about uh, and, and often very gendered things uh, about mm-hmm. her, her leadership. Yeah, and, and it's interesting when you think about... Republicans tend to, it seems as though for governor, they're still kind of running against Granholm. And if uh, Gretchen Whitmer does indeed get the uh, party nomination and is running for governor, she will essentially, the Republicans, it seems like, are going to try and paint her as Jennifer Granholm. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, that could be considered a a sexist move because, well, Jennifer Granholm is the only former female governor of, you know, in, in recent times. Gretchen Whitmer is running as a female for governor. So to kind of, uh, sort of paint her as a as a grand home candidate is is kind of an interesting move um when it comes to just sort of in general uh the number of females in the legislature you know there's only four total in the state senate there are uh three republicans and one democrat and that's out of 38 seats Mm. um and then in the state house we have about 17 democrats 16 republicans um and that's out of 110 so, I mean, and I don't know if it is because uh, if, if term limits have a play in any of this or not, but we're definitely not seeing those seats necessarily being filled as quickly as some might have thought or have hoped uh, over the last few years. However, in the state house, there were two seats that had to be uh, filled recently, and those were filled by female candidates. Um So, you know, as far as where the state legislature is going and are we going to be seeing more females, we are seeing more female candidates running, whether or not they're able to to actually claim those seats and hold on to those seats is is something to keep an eye out for. But I think that the the atmosphere and the climate for that has really never been better. And I think that there is definitely a recognition among uh, our state politicians that it's a good idea to start putting more females mm-hmm. uh, candidates forward. And, you know, they're not necessarily openly talking about it, but I think you're probably sort of behind closed doors seeing them take that into account. And I will be interested to kind of see when it comes to uh, the Republican ticket for the governor, uh, the governor's seat, the attorney general seat. Are they going to make more of an effort to get more women included? The, mm-hmm. the, you know, it's really only male candidates for the governorship, but are they going to look for a female for their lieutenant governor? Uh, let's let's take uh, Carrie and Troy. Carrie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Uh-huh. I, I wanted to call in response to Linda's call, and uh, certainly she's not the only woman or person with that opinion that women are too emotional um, to be effective professionally or in politics, but it it seems like a joke to me. Look at the men in politics today. Look at our president. He is completely driven by emotional (laughs) response and knee-jerk reactions because of his emotions all of the time, Um, as well as many other hotheads in politics, Chris Christie, whoever. So the notion that men professional men or political men can't, aren't driven by their emotions as well is ludicrous. Yeah. Carrie, I'm glad you called uh, and made that point. It's an important pushback against uh, what, what Linda was saying there. And, and I think we got to be careful about when we use 
you know, sort of coded language to describe uh, either men or women uh, in in aggregate uh, in, in in politics. But of course, Kelly, women face that that kind of uh, uh, broad brushing uh, trigger kind of language far more frequently, I think, than men do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the expectations, you know, we have a lot of stereotypes about women and gender um, that don't align necessarily with what we expect in, ele- in our elected officials. Some of those are around emotion. Some of those around qualifications and the particular types of expertise you bring to the job. Mm-hmm. And so women candidates have an added layer of sort of scrutiny that they face as well as it's sometimes a challenge um, in navigating what is very gendered terrain of political campaigns where they have to prove that they're not only qualified enough to be the elected official, but also that they don't violate expectations or norms around their their gender. And so that's something that women candidates are dealing with. I did want to quickly raise one point, just because I think it's important when we talk about male candidates, Mm -hmm. that they're part of this conversation as well, and they also confront these gendered expectations. But in this particular context, when we're talking about numbers um, and the sort of year of the woman, you know, men are still the majority of candidates, mm-hmm. um, even in this year. So in, in Michigan, among House candidates, uh, men are over 75 percent still of those candidates. Um, across the country, women are only 22 percent of House candidates. Um, I imagine there's similar breakdowns when you start to look at the state legislative uh, level. And so even though we're seeing change this year on a number of levels in terms of that gender terrain, we're also seeing um, some consistency that women remain underrepresented both in the candidate pool and in elected office. And that continues to shape what voters think of and who they think of when they think of an elected leader. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Kelly Dittmar, Assistant Professor of Political Science and Scholar with the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University, and Shana Roth, Capital Reporter with the Michigan Public Radio Network. Thanks to both of you for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, we are going to talk politics and news with Republican political consultant Steve Linder. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Mm-hmm. 